We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 579 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. I have a great show lined up for you today. I'm actually going to be discussing a article that I wrote for Packer Report a couple weeks back, kind of how to address this offseason, uh, kind of going through it if I was Brian Gutekunst. And this isn't necessarily going to be about who they should target. It's going to be more how they should go about targeting each position. So I'll get to that in just a moment. I did want to cover, of course, the, the Mason Crosby contract that Green Bay signed uh, just this past weekend. We didn't get a chance to cover it on our most recent episode. We had recorded the episode uh, prior to the, the actual signing. So wanted to touch base on that briefly. And I think it's a great deal. And I think it's a great deal for both sides. And uh, you may look at it immediately and say, you know, a couple different things. You might say, hey, he's the third highest paid kicker in football. Maybe you think that's a little rich. Maybe you think that's a little bit too much to be spending on a kicker. Uh, but I think this is a really smart deal for Green Bay. They are a uh, potential championship contending team. We'll see what happens this offseason. But uh, I think having a really strong kicker is a big part of that, a big piece to that puzzle. 
more importantly, I, I think that this is a kicker that uh, not only is a really good kicker, but was coming off of one of his best seasons, maybe the best season of his career. But most importantly, he knows how to kick in Lambeau. He knows how to kick in Chicago. You know, nine out of 16 of his games every year are either at Lambeau Field or in Chicago. And that's not even to mention some of the other, you know, stadiums that he might kick in through the course of the year, whether it be Kansas City, Denver, Seattle, some of the other tougher places. But we know every single year, nine out of 16 are going to be outdoors uh, and usually some some form of poor conditions, whether that just be windy, cold, etc. So uh, I think that really goes a long way uh, into putting value into what Mason Crosby is as a kicker. Uh, he's solid as a kickoff specialist, maybe not the best. And you would think that his leg would potentially get a little bit weaker through his age 37, 38, and 39 seasons. But uh, I think this is still a really strong deal for Green Bay. Again, coming off one of his best seasons, knows how to kick in Lambeau, knows how to kick in conditions, and he's reliable. And, and that's something that's really, really difficult uh, to kind of find in this day and age at the kicker position. So uh, I love that signing. The other thing that you may have looked at is to say, oh, wow, he's he's getting $6 million up front. He's getting $9.5 million in his first couple of years. You have to remember that that's uh, signing bonus related as well. So he's likely going to be you know costing Green Bay somewhere around $4 million this year, which is actually less uh, than what he made per year over the course of the last couple seasons. And I think that's why I love this deal for both sides. I firmly believe that Mason didn't want to go anywhere. Obviously, Green Bay wanted him uh, back kicking uh, for the Packers. And I just think that this is a, a really good deal. He becomes the third highest paid kicker in football. It's not like they lowball them. They bring him down maybe a tad bit in price and per year value than what he was at, which I think is also fair because he's going again into his 37, 38, 39 year old season. So you would expect a little bit of decline there, hopefully nothing too egregious, but I think the number seems right. And I think this seems like a deal that was really smart for both parties. And that's not always the case. You know, sometimes you see a team that uh, gets the best of a player. Sometimes you see a player gets the best of a team. And I think the best deals are one that are mutually beneficial for both. And I think that's exactly what happened in this scenario. Um, I think if you you could look at it from either side, you could say, hey, he got the third highest paid kicker deal. That, that's maybe overvalue. I think you could look at it and say, hey, he actually kind of took a pay cut from what he was just getting paid the last couple of years. Uh, so I think you can look at it from both sides. And I think when you really look at it and take a step back, that's why it really makes sense uh, to, for both sides of this deal that the number that he got was was smart and was right. So uh, kudos to Russ Ball, kudos to the Packers, kudos to Mason Crosby and his agent. This is a, a deal that made sense to get done from day one of all of Green Bay's free agents. I, I think this is maybe the one that a lot of people expected to happen. Uh, but regardless, sometimes the ones that are most expected to happen don't end up happening for whatever reason. Uh, sometimes that divide can be bigger than a lot of people think. And uh, this is one that got done quickly. And I think Green Bay's better off for it. I think Mason Crosby's better off for it. So kudos to both sides on getting that deal done. Uh, so as I mentioned, one of my main topics or really my main topic that I want to go over today is how to address each position this offseason. And like I mentioned, this is not going to be going through and telling you which player that they should necessarily target. I think we'll get into a lot more free agent targets as we get closer uh, to the free agency signing period. I think we'll also uh, kind of go over, uh, you know, obviously the the draft profiles of, of players that uh, the Packers should be targeting in the draft as we go on as well. So we have plenty of time to discuss those specific topics, but I kind of wanted to go through uh, my mind of what I was thinking and how Green Bay should, should be targeting each individual position. So let's jump right in. Let's kind of get started right away. Uh, I want to start with quarterback. 
And this is a really interesting one, and this is always a hot-button topic. And um, I understand the idea that Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers and uh, adding a high-profile quarterback at this point in Aaron Rodgers' career does nothing to advance the opportunity for him and this team to win a Super Bowl. I, I understand that argument fully. I just never buy into it. And uh, to me, quarterback is the single most important position in football, in sports, not in football, in sports. Quarterback is the single most important position in sports. It massively reflects which teams are winning and which teams are losing. If you have a good quarterback, it matters more than any other position uh, on, again, in, in any sport period, in my opinion. So if you have the opportunity to take a really good quarterback, you always take one. And I think it's worth remembering, you know, we don't even have to look that far back. You know, Alex Smith, a good quarterback, and I'm not even talking, you know, Pro Bowl level quarterback here. Good quarterback was one hit away from basically his career being done. And at any given time, in any given football game, any player's career can be over. And unfortunately, from a Packers side, we've seen it happen uh, far too often, whether it be Nick Collins, uh, Terrence Murphy, Jonathan Franklin. I mean, the list goes on and you, you guys all know the names. But, uh, you know, every player is one hit away. And that's the unfortunate uh, side of the situation. And I just think that, again, with the position being as important as it is, I would never, ever, in any stretch of the imagination, turn down the opportunity to draft, trade for, sign a quarterback that I think has the ability to be a true top 15 starting quarterback in the NFL. Now, that's easier said than done. Those quarterbacks are few and far between, and they don't come along very often, which is why I say you you have to be selective when one does come along. And Green Bay was exactly that when Aaron Rodgers uh, was selected, even though Brett Favre was uh, rightfully at the helm at that time and, and was, you know, even though he was showing signs of retirement, wasn't necessarily showing signs of slowing down. Green Bay was super wise to select Rodgers when they did not look, to, look a, a gift horse in the mouth, uh, select him, develop him, and, and the rest was kind of history. So I understand the, the thought process on, on not maybe wanting a quarterback with the, the 30th overall pick, but I just think it comes down to value. And if you have the opportunity to draft somebody that you're in love with at that position, you do it, period. So, uh, But my, my bigger take here is that Green Bay is in a fantastic situation. I think they have, obviously, still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Aaron Rodgers. And I think they have uh, a wild card, if you will, as a backup quarterback, somebody what, that we don't exactly know what it's going to be yet. Um, but that's not necessarily the worst thing. There's a lot of teams that we just know have really bad backup quarterbacks. We simply don't know with Tim Boyle yet. He certainly shows flashes. But uh, if Green Bay goes into next season with Rodgers and Boyle and no other quarterbacks on the roster, they're well ahead of the game than the majority of teams in the league. So they don't have to do anything at this point, And they still have time to try to find Rodgers' successor. So the word that I use this offseason to target the quarterback position is simply value. And no matter where that comes from, whether that's in the draft, free agency, trade, uh, or maybe it doesn't present itself, right? They should be looking at value at the quarterback position. And if they see it, they should strike. And again, whether that's pick 30 in the draft, whether that's a seventh round selection, an undrafted free agent, uh, you know, a trade, maybe for a Josh Rosen, a free agent signing, maybe Marcus Mariota goes for less money than we were expecting him to. And, uh, you know, something similar maybe to like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, or, uh, or I should say a Ryan Tannehill, excuse me, where he just needed a different system. And maybe Matt LaFleur saw something in, in Marcus Mariota when he was there, and maybe Brian Gutekunst loved him when he came out. You 
You know, if you have the opportunity to sign that type of player, maybe he just needs a change in system and, and maybe that's the key. I'm not saying that's it. And that's why I say I'm not necessarily labeling players they should target today, but, you know, something like that. And I, I think we've seen great examples of this, whether you go back to Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott in the fourth round, Tom Brady in the sixth round, more recently, Lamar J Jackson following to the end of the first, Jimmy Garoppolo, the top of the second. Even a player like Jacksonville's quarterback from a season ago, Gardner Minshew, who they picked in the later rounds. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily a future franchise quarterback for them, but he was a really great value at that point in time for the draft, obviously in hindsight. But I think that's the type of thing that Green Bay should target and potentially giving Tim Boyle some competition as a backup this year and bringing in somebody who has the ability to be uh, maybe that future franchise quarterback. We'll see. But I, I just think they should target value at this point. And like I said, if that opportunity doesn't present itself, you don't need to jump. And I think that's the great you know, thing about where Green Bay's at at the moment. And that brings us to the running back position. And what I want to address here is a couple different things. And I think maybe the most underrated aspect of the running back position is maybe exactly how much of a need this position actually is. So it may not seem like it on the surface, but you've got, you know, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Dexter Williams is kind of those top three backs. And on the surface, it looks like you've got your alpha in, you know, Aaron Jones, you've got a really nice backup in Jamal Williams, and you've got a developmental running back as that number three in Dexter Williams. And on paper, that sounds exactly like what you want, a star, a stud, you know, backup, or, a, you know, the guy that you would expect kind of in that backup type of role that can do a little bit bit of everything and a developmental guy. That's that's a good trio. And I and again, I think Green Bay's in an okay spot here where they don't necessarily have to do anything, but I think it's also super noteworthy that Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are in the last year of their contracts and Dexter Williams really hasn't shown anything so far. So, you know, if you look past this season, you don't really have anything penciled in for 2021. And the goal of the draft is to try to develop players, draft and develop players before you need them. And I think that's where the running back position really comes into play in this year's draft. I don't think you ever really want to overspend on running back. And I'm not going to jump too far into whether or not they should extend Aaron Jones. I love Aaron Jones to death. I want to see him be a Packer, uh, you know, until he retires, but I'm very much on the bandwagon that you don't pay running backs. So reconcile that how you will. Maybe that's a conversation for another day. But I, I do think that Green Bay is in a unique position where they could use an influ, you know, an influx of younger talent because two of their top guys are in the last year of their contract. And if you can find a player now that has the ability to be a really good starter next year, and maybe you don't have to pay Aaron Jones, I think that's a really great opportunity to, to try to find something like that. So uh, the other thing that I want to say here is that I'm not a huge believer in Jamal Williams. And, and what I'll say in regards to that is I like his role on the team. I love what he brings to the locker room. He's a fun presence. He does a little bit of everything for this offense. He can be a lead blocker even for Aaron Jones on some of those uh, unique plays that we've seen uh, with two running backs on the field. He can pass protect really well. He's a good you know receiver out of the backfield. He's got a little bit of power to his game but he lacks explosiveness and he lacks playmaking ability. And ultimately, uh, what the running back position is, is a playmaker position, and he's not consistently that. And my fear here is that, you know, Aaron Jones, we've talked about whether or not he can handle a full workload. We've always thought that that's, a, you know, an overblown topic. And last year, he showed he can handle uh, the wear and tear of a full NFL season. He doesn't have a ton of carries on his body. Thanks, Mike McCarthy, I guess. Uh, but... Um, you know, if he does, you know, end up with an injury, 
we've seen how important Aaron Jones is to this team and how much that running game matters. And I do think that there is a serious divide between what Aaron Jones brings and what Jamal Williams brings. And I think if you don't have that explosive playmaker or even, you know, some sort of playmaker at that running back position, uh, if Aaron Jones would go down, I think you're in a tough position. So uh, I would love to see an influx uh, of a young running back here for a variety of different reasons, give some competition to Jamal Williams, uh, you know, have somebody in line next year. If all of a sudden Aaron Jones's contract demands get out of hand, I don't think you're going to want to bring Jamal Williams back for big money. He could maybe get some uh, bigger money in the free agent market than maybe Green Bay wants to pay. And we simply don't know enough about Dexter Williams at this point yet. So uh, how I want to address this position, day three picks and priority free agents. And I'm a believer that you can find running backs in a variety of different spots. And I'm also a believer in the draft. If, if you get into a position where the player that you were targeting maybe gets taken, there's not a player high on your board and you can't trade back or trade out pick the best running back on the board. I don't, I think that's, you know, kind of the, uh, you're always your backup plan because you can find good running backs at almost any, any point in the draft. So I think that's, you know, kind of always my strategy, but use those day three draft picks and, you know, maybe even take a couple. I I wouldn't be, uh, you know, uh, offended by that in any way. I think that's a good strategy to have. I thought Ted Thompson had a good plan of, you know, picking three running backs when he picked Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, Devontae Mays, just try to get one of those guys. You know, you're not spending premium picks. Jamal Williams, an end of the third round guy, which was basically like an early fourth. And then, you know, Aaron Jones and, and Devontae Mays at the end of the draft. So I think they, you know, that was a good strategy by Ted Thompson. And I think, you know, picking up two or three late round slash undrafted free agent type of guys just to get some talent, see if something sticks. That's how I would address this running back position. Uh, fullback, bring me some competition. Um, I'm not a huge Danny Vitale guy. I think Jay Sternberger showed he can play some H back in a pinch. I think Robert Tanyan can do that as well. I think Matt LaFleur wants uh, the fullback to be more important, but you know, Danny Vitale can be probably had back for cheap, but I'd love some competition in there as well. I don't think Danny Vitale was particularly a good run blocker, uh, but I do think he was good out of the backfield as a receiver. They just didn't use him a ton. So uh, I just, you know, bring in some competition. Don't spend anything major, maybe a late seventh round pick, you know, something like that. Uh, They've got a few sixth and seventh round picks that they could throw around at that point. And, you know, if, you know, the thing about sixth or seventh round picks, you're not expecting to really get anything out of it. Maybe if you get a starting fullback, that's a decent way to use one of those picks. So uh, that would be something undrafted free agent, maybe a a street free agent, like how they got Vitaly. Anything, just bring in some competition is all I'd like to see out of that position. At the wide receiver position, um, you know, second tier type free agent receiver is something that ideally they would like. I would like them to, you know, address it with, but I think salary cap is going to be tight. So the, the draft is really probably where they need to make their money here. And and this is, you know, my big thing here is multiple draft picks. And I'm, I'm saying three. I don't want to see Green Bay leave probably this draft without three wide receivers. And the reason that that is, is you sh- I'm sure you all know at this point, this draft is stacked, 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 stacked at the receiver position. And you're going to get guys uh, on the second day of the draft that would be first round picks in other drafts. And I think you're going to get guys on day three in the draft that would normally be maybe even second, if not third round type players. So there is a ton, a ton of talent in this draft. And this is a position of need and it really matches up perfectly 
And it would not surprise me if Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard were the only two wide receivers that made it back from 2019 into 2020. We'll see what Equinemius St. Brown can do coming back from injury. I think MVS could be a potential trade candidate if he can't get on the same page on the offense and and with Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see what happens. But uh, whether this is a a first, a third, and a fifth, a second, a third, and a fourth, some capacity, I would like to see Green Bay leave the draft with three wide receivers, even even if they do pick up somebody uh, like a Robbie Anderson, you know, maybe that pushes back your need. Uh, maybe that puts it into like a second to fifth and a seventh, you know, type pick. But th- this draft class is just too rich at the position to ignore it. Strike while the iron's hot, pick up three rookie receivers. And uh, if you really did your homework and got the right guys, you could prosper for a long time just based off of those type of picks. At tight end, I would love to find a disappointing, talented hidden gem. I'm a huge believer that at the tight end position, the tight ends generally start to look better at the start of the second contract. You know, year four, maybe year three, four, five, somewhere in there is when they kind of start to take off and play a little bit better. It is a really tough position because you have to learn how to block and you have to learn how to, you know, release almost like a receiver, run a full route tree. Uh, you know, there's just so much nuance to the position. A lot are even used in some of that H-back type position. So you could be used as a lead blocker in line as a, as almost like an extra offensive lineman. Uh, you could be used as a, you know, slot type wide receiver. You can even be used outside in the red zone. There's just so much to learn at the position. And I think, you know, I'll use David and Joku from, from the Cleveland Browns. I think you get a player like that and he has so much talent, but it just, it's tough to recognize it in the first couple years of the deal. So that's an example of somebody who's ultra talented, former first round pick has not hit his stride in Cleveland. Uh, you know, was benched at the end of last year, didn't take to coaching well, but tremendously talented. And, you know, again, maybe a change of pace type uh, deal there, you know, you get him in a new system and see if things start to click. That's what I would like them to add. I'd love them to bring back Mercedes Lewis as well. Um, and then of course you've got, you know, Tanyan and Sternberger to compete there as well, assuming they move on from Jimmy Graham. So look for a player, you know, you've, you, we've seen guys like Eric Ebron and Max Williams over the course of the last couple of years who've looked good, uh, better on their second teams than they did on their first. So look for maybe one of those players that was a high draft pick at tight end that didn't come along in their first contract. Maybe he's available via trade or free agency. Try to pick up one of those guys and see if you can maybe uh, get lightning in a bottle and see if they can maybe turn their career around. At offensive line, I'd love to keep your own. And uh, I think this is a position that uh, is really starting to gel together as the season went along. I think you've you've got a really nice you know front five with Bakhtiari, the up and coming Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner is maybe a little bit of the weaker link, and then Brian Bulaga. And I would even love to bring Jared Valdir back as a swing tackle. That's probably a pipe dream, but try to keep your own. Um, you know, pick up some offensive linemen. You know, maybe in the draft to develop. But I think if you pick up you know Brian Bulaga specifically, that gives you a little bit more time maybe to to try to find some of those developmental offensive linemen. And I just don't think there's anything else, uh, you know, any other player on the roster that's ready to start right now. I think Lucas Patrick's a really nice swing player on the interior on game days who can play either center or guard. 
I don't think they have that that swing tackle, which is why I'd love Valdir back if you can get him back on a cheaper deal. Um, I, it's going to be expensive, but I just think that Aaron Rodgers is a quarterback that needs a ton of time in the pocket. He does not make decisive decisions with the football in the first couple seconds of the of the play, and uh, you need offensive linemen that can really help him buy time and uh, you know get that time that he needs to be that dynamic quarterback. So this is one where I just think Green Bay's got to keep their own. Moving on to the defensive side, uh, I'm going to start with the defensive line. I think this is low-key the biggest need on the the team this entire offseason. I know people talk about linebacker, you know, Brian Bulag on the offensive line, adding more weapons at receiver. When Green Bay lost last year, they could not stop the run. If you look back, the two San Francisco games, the Chargers game, the Eagles game, they got gashed. They got absolutely gashed in the interior and they could not stop anyone. And there's a few things that are of an issue there that inside linebacker position certainly plays a part. I'm just not a believer that Kenny Clark, uh, well, I am a huge believer in Kenny Clark, but Kenny Clark with the players around him is enough to be able to stop good running teams in today's day and age of the NFL. So uh, I, I, I like Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster, Kingsley Kiki as supporting role type players on the interior of that defense. I'm not a believer in Montrevious Adams. He had you know what everyone thought was going to be his jump this last year. It did not happen. He played terrible when he was on the field. Um, and I, I hope he pulls it together. I'm rooting for him, but I don't think you can trust him at this point. So uh, this is a position of need. I love Michael Pierce uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. I think he would be a massive addition. Maybe someone like an Andrew Billings, trying not to get too deep in the weeds here of maybe players they could target, but it's tough not to sometimes. I just think that they need an influx of run stuffing talent. And if they do that, I think they can even maybe get away with not having to get an alpha you know, type male at inside linebacker if they can really be out up the middle. You put Pierce and Kenny Clark next to each other in the middle of the defense with Zedarius and Preston on the outside. Uh, you mean, good luck. Those are going to be gap controlling type players. And uh, even if you have a solid inside linebacker behind them, you're going to have enough to clean up. So we know Mike Patton wants to play small on the backside. You've got to be big and you've got to play physical on the front side. And they've got a tremendous player in Kenny Clark. They've got the edge guys that can do it. They need one more guy and uh, they need to add some beef up front. And like I said, a guy like Michael Pierce would be ideal for that. At the edge rusher position, just don't ignore a great opportunity. And th- listen, they've made their major investments in this position. Rashawn Gary, a first round, you know, top 15 pick a season ago, and two huge free agent signings in Preston and Zedarius Smith. Um, Kyler Vackerel's probably gone. They've got a developmental guy in Tim Williams that I think could really be that fourth edge rusher this year. And I think he brings a little bit of a different speed type element to the table. So I think they have the pieces that they need. They don't need to do anything here, but you can never have enough pass rushers. And if all of a sudden a player that wasn't expected to fall falls, and maybe we're talking third round, fourth round, fifth round, whatever that is, just don't you know, overlook it. If a, if a talented edge rusher, if a talented pass rusher comes your way, take it. Don't, don't just, you know, overlook it because you already have three good players. Take the fourth one. You never know where injuries are going to hit. You can never have enough good pass rushers. So they're in a great spot. They've spent a lot of resources on the position already. They don't need to do anything, but kind of like quarterback, don't ignore a value play if it presents itself. Inside linebacker, honestly, choose your own adventure. Um, I don't have a really strong take here on a player that they should target or a way that they should target it. 
I don't I haven't studied the inside linebackers enough in the draft to say that they definitively should take one at a certain point in the draft. Um, I'll be totally transparent on that. And I haven't seen a free agent inside linebacker that entices me enough to say, you know, give the guy the huge bag of money to go fill that spot on defense. They certainly cannot ignore it. They cannot go into the season with Summers and Bolton and Burks and, you know, maybe Raven Green and Ibrahim Campbell and say, we got this covered. And Brian Gutekunst knows that. I'm certain of that. But I don't have a great play here. I don't think this is a really great draft for, you know, linebackers overall. And I don't think this is a really great uh, free agent class either. So, you know, target target value plays here. I don't think this is the season to go all in on the position, but you got to you gotta kind of choose your own adventure. You got to pray a little bit as well uh, that, that things just kind of work them work their way out. And it might be a little bit of a, a smorgasbord of, of players that you have to kind of fill in to try to fill the position. Um, but, uh, you know, ideally that they, you know, they'd be able to fill this position with somebody really, really good. We'll see if that can happen. I know it needs to get better. I just don't have a really great grasp of, of how to do that yet. And uh, as time goes on, as the offseason goes on, maybe I study some of the inside linebackers in free agency and in the draft a little bit more. I've studied Patrick Queen uh, quite a bit already. He's a good player. He's a he's he's meant for 2020 NFL uh, against 90% of the teams. He's got the speed, the agility, the sideline to sideline speeds. He's explosive. He can cover. He's got fluid hips. There's so much to like about him. I, I worry that George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk even. I'm not even talking about a big 300-pound guard. Juszczyk and Kittle are going to eat them alive in the running game. And I think that's always the million-dollar question of, you know, how do you want to build your team? Do you want to, you know, just build the best team that you possibly can? Or do you want to worry about the team that gave you a ton of trouble and could be a huge issue again going into, you know, 2020, 2021? Um, They were burnt last year by teams that ran the ball against them. And I'm not sure that Patrick Queen, unless you maybe get a player like Michael Pierce up front, uh, I'm not sure a player like that is going to solve a lot of those problems against some of those bigger running teams. So he doesn't necessarily fill the need that they have. Have, but he's a fantastic inside linebacker that can do a ton of things well, and you would most teams would die to have him. So uh, he could also be gone, easily gone, probably gone by pick thirty. So there's a lot to there's a lot still to take in at this position. And like I said, if I had a great take as to exactly what they should do, I would certainly tell you here. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it up to you on this one. Choose your own adventure a little bit, and as I as things sort out a little bit more this off season, uh, I'll try to give a little bit more of a scorching take. On on this, but uh, I know they need to get better. I guess I'm just not exactly sure how yet. Cornerback, let Jerry Gray get to work. They they bring in this really great defensive backs coach who has a ton of talent at the position already. You've got J- uh, Jair Alexander, you've got Josh Jackson, you've got Kevin King, you've got Chandon Sullivan, you've got Kadar Holloman. You have five talented cornerbacks in that secondary right now without adding another piece, without even bringing anyone else back. You, the talent, everything that a defensive backs coach would want is in that room. Go out, train them, teach them, make them, you know, make them fantastic. And this is a position that does not need uh, another player. I would love Tremont back on a team-friendly deal. I'm not sure if that happens or not. I just think he's a great influence in the locker room. I think he can play corner safety. I think he's the veteran to all those young guys. Um, but even if he's not back, I think they have the talent in that room to be successful. I don't think they have to be aggressive at all in the draft at the position. Um, so this is a this is a position where I think they they have the tools that they need. 
just let Jerry Gray get to work and kind of mold them. I don't think that they necessarily have to target anything in free agency. At safety, uh, maybe like a tier three type free agent, um, uh, you know, somebody that's maybe solid but unspectacular. I'm talking like a, a Charlie Pepper type, you know, and uh, that's a player who started in the Super Bowl for Green Bay and was more kind of there and steady than he was good. And I just think a player like that could help if there were injuries along the way. They've got, you know, Savage and Amos to start, and they've got backups like Ibrahim Campbell and Raven Green um, already. And, uh, you know, even Will Redmond is somebody that can play there as well. So I like the players that they have on the roster overall. I wouldn't hate bringing in, uh, you know, a a tier three type of free agent with low guaranteed money uh, just for competition's sake. You know, maybe it, uh, you know, makes Campbell and Redmond and Green play play a little bit harder, a little bit stronger, or maybe if not, maybe it just gives them somebody who could come in and be solid if, like I said, not spectacular. So they don't need to add anything here. They already spent their major resources with a first round pick and a major free agent signing a season ago, and they've got some depth there. I know they like Raven Green in in both positions, so I don't think they need to do a ton, uh, but uh, I think a tier three free agent would would be a nice uh, addition there. Last but not least, special teams. My my two in the article were re-signed Mason Crosby and Tyler Irvin. They've obviously done one of those already with Mason Crosby. Uh, get back Tyler Irvin as well. I think he showed. I think he showed up nicely, and uh, I think it really depends on the guaranteed money. I wouldn't want to give him a ton. This is a this was a street free agent type of player. I think he has more value in Green Bay right now than he does anywhere else. Though he showed well in the system offensively. He showed explosiveness. They lined a bump wide. They used him as a gadget player. He he was a really nice kick returner and punt returner. Uh, I mean, those players aren't necessarily easy to find. So uh, maybe try to, you know, low guarantee the deal, but, you know, give them a lot of incentives. And, uh, you know, I think that could be a, a room for a, a team-friendly deal that could also turn out well for Tyler Irvin. So uh, that's what I would do on special teams. And I think those are, are really the, the two big ones. And like I said, they've obviously already re-signed Mason. So they've got that one almost taken care of. That does it. Uh, for me today. Like I said, I wanted to look at this, not necessarily who they should target, but how they should use the resources that they have uh, this this offseason, whether it be draft picks, free agents, undrafted free agents, tier three type free agents, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's kind of how I look at this offseason. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. You can always follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We like, we got a lot of great stuff this offseason still to come. Free agency is going to be just around the corner. The CBA is going to be a lot of talk you know, over the course of the next couple weeks, I'm sure. Uh, The XFL is in full swing. Maybe we'll do a little bit more on that. And then of course, we're going to dig heavily into the NFL draft as always also. So lots of fun stuff coming up. If you haven't yet, please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, uh, you know, whatever you can do to support the podcast. We're always super appreciative. Um, Tell a friend, whatever that may be. Uh, Just always appreciate your support. You know, I'll be totally honest. We would probably be doing this if it were just like the 20 of us listening every day uh, because we love it. It's a labor of love. Uh, It's so much fun. And we've got such a great team uh, bringing you this content every day. But uh, the more you can do to listen in and support us, we, we greatly appreciate that as well. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Come back tomorrow. We'll have another one for you. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.